So, uh, church family, good to see you again. I'm going to invite you to join with me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, in these moments, help us to be captivated by the matchless beauty of Jesus and his love for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Man, it is so good to be back. I get to pinch myself that my, my job, my ministry is to proclaim the beauty of Jesus to you and, and for us to gather on this, this day, how awesome it is. And um, uh, as we've gathered to consider some things, I uh, wanted to start out with an experience I had while I was away. Uh, while I was in Florida this past week, I had a chance to go to the happiest place on earth, which happens to be Disney World, right? And uh, while at Disney World, we went to the Magic Kingdom, I had a Dole Whip, which is pineapple ice cream. It's delicious. Um, while I was there, I went on the Seven Dwarves Mine Train with the girls. That was awesome. While I was there, I saw the castle all lit up uh, for their laser light show. There, there's a picture of it. Um, and it was just phenomenal. Uh, the fireworks were going off. They had all the characters and their music. And I love that Disney music, right? You know, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, just phenomenal. And um, while I was in the happiest place on earth, I... I I learned something about myself that I wanted to share with you. For it's not only the happiest place on earth, it's also the most crowded place on earth. Uh, Here are some people lined up for the show in front of me. Here was the picture behind me. And um, while I got to that Seven Dwarves Mine Train, the wait on standby was 170 minutes. 170 minutes. That was our first ride. So you're waiting almost three hours for a train ride that lasts about three minutes. And, and it was during this moment where I was on standby, I saw the fast passers move by in 20 minutes, that I had this revelation about myself. And it was this, that it's easier to be more concerned about my own benefit than that of others. Right? In fact, when people got off from the ride and they did fast pass, I did not give them a high five. Oh, 20 minutes? Only got two hours here. In fact, if someone told me they wait four hours to get on that same ride, I would have been happy. I went at a good time. Good. Glad you waited four. Right? Because what you learn in an experience like that is that everyone cares more about their own benefit than anyone else as they push through the crowd, as they try to cut in the line for the dole whip, as they block your view no matter where you are, as they get the best spots for themselves. That's that's human nature. In fact, you don't have to go to Disney World to figure this out. When's the last time you've experienced this? Maybe for you it was at the grocery store and you played the line game and you picked the wrong line. Do you know the burning that happens inside when you pick the wrong line? Because you're not happy that others got the good line. You're just like, ah! Happens all the time for traffic, right? You clearly see that there. And the reason I bring this up is, is because what we're in this series called Love Like Jesus And one of the things I recognize is that Jesus and his way, it's like completely different than the way we're accustomed to. In fact, if you're taking notes, the first thing about Jesus' love is that it's others-focused. During this time, we're in the season of Lent where we consider the passion of Jesus, and it says that by his wounds, by what he did, we are benefited, we are healed. He is the man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, and why? Why? Because he was carrying our sorrows and bearing the suffering we deserved. 
In fact, when we look at the whole of his existence on earth, it was to be others-focused. It's why he came down as he taught, as he comforted. He is the reason for our salvation, for any and all who would cling to his name. And so to love like Jesus, and what we want to explore, is to be more and more others-focused. Is to do it better and better each day. In fact, a Christ follower named Paul said, this is the essence of what it is to follow Jesus. In a letter to the Philippians, he said this. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Now, I'm not sure that means letting them go in front of you in line, but, but I do get what he's saying. Um, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. But now, the question is, how do we get from where we are to where God wants us to be? Well, and that's part of the reason we gather in this place. Don't you love the Word of God? See, we're convinced the Word of God is, is living and active. It is so powerful that it can move hearts and lives. It can give us strength because the Spirit uses that Word to work on our hearts to do things we, we, we thought we could never do, to be the people we thought we'd never be, and to be about the ways and the will of Jesus. And today we hear a powerful Word. In fact, it is one of the most beautiful portions of Scripture. It is the story of the prodigal son. I'm just curious, how many of you ever heard the story of the prodigal son? Just a raise of hands. Yeah, yeah, so it's pretty familiar, and it's pretty phenomenal. It's pretty phenomenal. But I want to give you the story behind the story, or the context. Why does Jesus tell this story? Well, the disciple Luke, who is recording this story, also records what was happening. In the first uh, part of that chapter, he says, this is what's happening. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, a little bit about the tax collectors and Pharisees. They are definitely only concerned about their own benefit. In fact, when it comes to Jesus, they're often jelly or jealous. Uh, jealous that he draws a crowd. Jealous that he, he seems to welcome others but rebuke them. They can't figure that out. It, it's kind of like others have fast passed. They're on standby. What's the deal, Jesus? And so he tells this story about a, a prodigal who had come home to make a singular point. That Jesus loves the lost and the broken. And if Jesus loves the lost and the broken and the hurting, then maybe, just maybe, we shouldn't mutter or complain, but we should rejoice too. You want to hear the story? Let's get into it. It's uh, Luke chapter 15. You can follow along either in your worship folder or on the screen before you. Uh, we're going to read the whole section. Um, here it says, uh, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all that he had together, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and it began to be a need. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, oh, how beautiful. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. 
So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. I want to pause there. The Greek word for compassion is one of my favorite Greek words, splanknizomai. You want to say that with me? Splanknizomai. And it means to like feel it in your innards, in like the core of your being. It's just like upset. We would say today like your heart goes out to someone, uh, right? But, but that's what he has, this compassion, this longing. And so he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. This is uh, interesting to me because we live in a culture that says, as long as I don't hurt anyone, I'm okay. The prodigal knows, even if I sin against heaven, that's the main deal. So it's not just if I hurt someone else. It's about, did I follow heaven's rules or not? That's primary. Anyway, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. These are awesome words. And words that we get to consider. Could you, if you're willing, turn to the person next to you and tell them, let's reach the lost. Let's reach the lost. Let's reach the lost. And then also tell them, and celebrate when they come home. Thank you, thank you for class participation. You know, I've done some studying on parenting, and uh, I don't claim to know it all. I don't know, it's a humbling thing if anyone would ever write a book about parenting, because it's a very humbling thing. Um, but some of the things that I've noticed is that parenting may change a little bit as the child grows. For example, when they're very young, you can be an authoritarian. Uh, you can say, this is specifically what I want you to do and when I want you to do it. And if you don't do it, well, guess what? It's either my way or the highway. Or we say things, you better shape up or ship out, right? And that works for a season. If you have elementary school kids, if they're infants, you know, maybe you should be the authoritarian. You shouldn't be asking them, well, what do you want to do? That wouldn't be wise. But then they grow. And at teenager stage, they're exploring some freedom. Uh, when they get out of the house and maybe go to college or go to work, it changes, you know, even more so. They're, they're, they're on their own. And so you move less authoritarian and more to be a coach. At least that's what I found. And so your style might sound a little bit more like this. You might be saying, well, I know that's what you want to do, but um, can I just tell you my experience on that path? Um, okay, you're going to try that, but I just want you to be aware of, or if I were you, you know, this is what I would consider. You're, you're the coach, right? In fact, I would tell you that if you have an adult child at home and you're still being authoritarian, unless you eat all your veggies, you don't get dessert, you might want to just switch a little bit. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because I see the father in the story. And, and some of what he does is a head-scratcher. Because consider what the younger son is doing. The younger son is coming to the father saying, Father, I don't want you, I just want your money. It would be as socially awkward as if you would call your parents or your grandparents, say, hey, Grandma, hey, when, when you die, were you thinking of giving me some money? Uh, yeah, do you want to write that check now? Uh, that'd be great. No, I don't want to see you, just the check. Okay, awesome. 
even more socially awkward in this traditional patriarchal society is what the prodigal does to his father by asking for the inheritance. And so the head scratcher is this. Why does the father give in? And here I think something that is true about loving the lost and something that may be even true about the heart of our God. If you're taking notes, I believe God loves us enough to allow us to learn from our mistakes. And see, it's not that the father didn't teach the son. I bet he taught him respect and manners and appropriateness. It's just that the son is at a different stage. And if you're, gonna, if you're not going to learn the lessons of the father, you're going to learn from the lessons of life. Now, how does this apply to you and I? Well, many of you are parents, and sometimes it applies to our helicoptering, where we never want them to fail. And so we catch them, and we do their homework, and we wake them up, and we're their alarm clock. And, and very honestly, sometimes they need to fail. They need to learn from the choices they're making and the mistakes they're making. How else does it apply? If you've ever reached out to someone who's truly broken, you know one of this principle that you cannot control them. And so if you're trying to control them and you're trying to make it all about what you're doing and you're going to teach them the lesson, unless they decide to change, there's nothing really you can do. And I'm not saying you don't counsel them. I'm not saying you don't plan an intervention. I'm not saying you don't do what you can. But sometimes... After doing all those things, we got to let them learn from the lessons of life. And I think what that, that's what the father is doing. So the prodigal, he lives up to the name prodigal. And, and, and if you could guess, what does the word prodigal mean? Does anyone have a guess? Yeah? Reckless. That's pretty good. Pretty good. I thought it meant wayward before I restudied this. I thought it meant, you know, someone, you know, wayward, gone astray. Uh, you're much better and more brilliant than I am. Uh, prodigal actually means um, extravagantly wasteful. Extravagantly wasteful. And, and so as a prodigal, and, and Americans can't relate to this at all, uh, extravagantly wasteful. Um, um, as the prodigal, we don't know exactly what he does. He, he may go to Vegas and double down. He may live in an NYC penthouse somewhere. We're, we're not exactly sure, but he proves a stewardship principle that it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you don't manage it wisely, it will leave. MC Hammer taught us that. Chad Ochocinco taught us that. Alan Iverson taught us that. Doesn't matter how rich you are, if you don't manage it well, it will leave. It kind of reminds me of a proverb. Uh, this proverb um, says, Cast a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Which is also, by the way, why we shouldn't put our dependence in riches um, or the state of the economy or our 401k. Um, rather, to put our dependence in God who richly provides. So he does this, he proves that he is a prodigal, he spends wastefully, and it gets bad for him. And you might wonder, why, why does he do this? What, what leads him to make such an offense? Uh, one of the offensive things he does, as, as illustrated by Tim Keller, um, he, the younger son was saying essentially that he wants his father things, but not his father. And why would he be so harsh, be so sinful? Well, the first thing I would tell you about sin is that sin is illogical. And you might see this when it comes to the way kids sin. Uh, you know, you might ask a certain kid, why did you do that? Why did you put stones in the washing machine? I don't know. Why did you put fruity pebbles in the air ducts? I don't know. And so, like, we know that sin is illogical. 
But I do think that lurking beneath the surface of every sin is a belief, is a code, that there's something in common with every sin. And I think if you would boil it down, it would be this, that the code of the lost is this idea. Life away from the Father, from God, is better. And I could have used many words. I could have put freer, more exciting, more fun, but really how the lost get lost is this idea. Life away is, is it's better. Because if I'm away from the Father, I get to say what I want and do what I want. I get to spend money the way I want. I get to live as my own rule dictator. This is great. The only thing is, it may be great for a moment. It may be great even for a season. But not in the long term. And surely not forever. And the prodigal sees this. So there's a famine. And he doesn't have enough food. So he hires himself out. And as Jesus is telling this to a Jewish audience, they would think this is a great offense. That a Jew, God's chosen nation, would now be part of a Gentile nation. Huge offense to hire himself out, become a citizen. And it's not only that, but, but what is he doing? He is feeding pigs which Jews believe are unclean. They wouldn't eat, they can't be around. It, it breaks their ceremonial laws. He goes so low that he's not only hired out, but feeding pigs, and he's so hungry, he wants to eat what the pigs are eating, which we actually know are carob pods. That's what the Greek says. Carob pods look like this. Look good to you? Carob pods, actually, it's interesting, you can grind them out, and uh, they can be a substitute for cocoa powder. So they look disgusting, but they're actually carob pod cookies. So I guess pigs like chocolate too. Um, but it doesn't matter how good or bad they are. He's longing for something that he can't even have. That's how bad. He, he longs for what pigs have. He doesn't have it. And so he's at his carob pod moment. Every now and then, we have carob pod moments. Every now and then, we reach the lowest of the lows. In fact, I remember walking with a Christian friend and uh, someone who was living a sexually promiscuous lifestyle. And he had a carob pod moment when he contracted HIV AIDS. And he probably had fun for a while doing his own thing, away from the father and the father's rules. But this was the lowest of the lows. After contracting that, he went back to the father. He renewed his faith in the Lord as actually an advocate on clean sexual living. Um, but sometimes we have those carob pod moments and sometimes God even allows them so that we come to our senses. You know, I was researching about the way God loves and I love this um, statement that God disciplines through love and sorrow. If love cannot help, if the Father's wisdom doesn't help on the front, the stress and all manner of plagues must come to wake us up to reality. We have carob pod moments but can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you why I love him? Because he knows they happen. But he says, I don't want you to stay there. And so he goes on a hunt, and he reaches out a hand for anyone in their carob pod moment, and he says, come to me. And before this parable, he, he talked about a shepherd who would leave 99 sheep to go find that one and carry it back on its shoulders and rejoice that it was found. Before he told this parable, 
He told of a lost coin and someone searching the entire house, ripping up everything until the lost coin was found and then he'd rejoice. This is Jesus, who when it came to his mission statement, you want to hear what it is? He told Zacchaeus, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And if you watch his walk, that is exactly what he did. He went to a woman caught in adultery and he said, I don't condemn you. <laughs> no, you're part of the family. He went to a guy named Zacchaeus and said, hey, I'm eating at your house today. And he went to a tax collector who was named Levi. He said, Levi, you want to be one of my disciples? And so he was in the huddle. This is our God. And being a prodigal, it might mean extravagant waste. And we might have extravagant sins, but he has extravagant grace. And he has an extravagant sacrifice. And his sacrifice is no match for any sin. It covers all, no matter how bad it was, no matter how long it was, no matter how much you feel it right now, it is covered through the cross of Jesus Christ. He says to those who are in their carapod moments, I have redeemed you, I have rescued you. If you're in a moment like that, if you're watching online, if you're here today, he reaches out his hand and says, come to me, come to me. It's better here. It's better here. Because of his forgiveness and peace, because of the cross where he shed his blood to give that extravagant sacrifice so we could be set free. How great is Jesus? We've been found, haven't we? We are found. And by the Holy Spirit, we trust that. We have come to our senses. But today is another day where we repent for all the times we live by the code of the lost and we reach out the hand to Jesus and say, I want to do it your way. Do you know this church was actually formed so we could be about Jesus' heart? Do you know our mission statement at Amazing Love? It is to reach the lost with the love of Christ. See, we should not forget how when we were lost, he found us. And we are on a mission to go out into our community and anyone who is broken and hurting and anyone who lives in guilt and fear and shame, they need to know the matchless love of Jesus. And they need to come to this place. And we recognize through this parable that there is no grander mission or better duty that a Christian could be on than to care for a soul of someone else. That's what we should be about. In fact, we live by a different code because of the Holy Spirit. The code of the found is this. The code of the found is this, that life with the Father is better. Life with the Father is grander. Life with the Father is more exciting at times. And yes, maybe even funner. Because when the son came to his sentence, senses, he said, man, I'd rather be a slave by my father than free and in this pigsty. The psalmist, he put it this way, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. And that's what we have found. That's what we have found. So to love like Jesus, if you're taking notes back up a little bit, is to seek the lost. Is to seek the lost. But now as the son comes home, we see the father's heart. And to talk about this, I need to talk a little bit about celebrating. Have you ever seen someone celebrate so much they became unglued? In fact, what would it take for you to become unglued in your celebration? I know it was opening day for baseball, and if a Chicago team would happen to win the World Series, I believe that some people would get unglued. Uh, I was considering March Madness. I don't know how many of you are following March Madness. 
uh, there is Charles Barkley, who is an Auburn alum. And uh, I have a picture of him. He became unglued because Auburn beat North Carolina, right? If you're a Virginia fan and you were watching last night, you might have become unglued as they won a miraculous victory. It was crazy. What does it take you to get you unglued in celebration? Is it uh, plans for vacation that get you unglued? Is it getting a good report card? Yeah. Getting good a, a, a word from your boss, a, a good report on the project. What, what does it take? This, this parable is about a father who becomes unglued. When the prodigal is coming back, he sees him far away, and he does things that are out of bounds, kind of, uh, socially. Because as the father in this traditional society, it wasn't natural for someone to get up and run towards the son. It's kind of like someone on the dance floor who doesn't care that they're dancing bad, but still dances anyway. You've seen these people? And, and that's what the father does by running to his son. And when he sees the son, he, he, he not only hugs him, but gives him a kiss. Now, socially, is it common for adult males to kiss other adult males? It's not for me. But the father does this as well, right? Because he is unglued in celebration. The father would go further and he would say, even before the son could say a word, we're going we're gonna to love you, we're going to put a ring on you, we're going to put sandals, we're going to kill the fattened calf, which was the best food that they had there. And we learn about the father. That to love like Jesus is to celebrate the lost who become found. It's to kill fattened calves. And so this is what we do at Amazing Love. Now at Amazing Love, we don't just have fattened calves, we have Fle Fleckenstein's Donuts. At Amazing Love, if you visit us, we're so excited you're here, we'll send you a Starbucks gift card. At Amazing Love, next Sunday, we have a new member welcome where we don't give fattened calves, but we give pineapples symbol of hospitality. We have a connection night coming up because we're geeked out that lost people have become found or found people have found their place here. And it's appropriate to celebrate. There's nothing better. In fact, no celebration should be as high as celebrating the lost who get found through Jesus. And that's the point of the parable. If we remember how it started, Jesus was looking at the Pharisees and seeing the Pharisees mutter and grumble. Again, remember, it said, this man welcomes sins and eat with them. And they're like, not about it. And he says, do you know, the point is that we should celebrate the lost coming home. And while it is the point of the parable, I'm not quite done yet. It is also the rub of the parable and the point of tension. Because Jesus in this story doesn't just talk about one lost son. Do you know he actually talks about two lost sons? And it's not recorded in your worship folder. But there is an elder brother who when he hears that everyone is partying because the younger son came back, he is angry. He is not there. And the father who has compassion on this lost son goes to him and sees him in his anger. And this elder son, look what he says. The elder son says to his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? Father, he got the fast pass and you're giving him another one and I am on standby. What's the deal? Now, it'd be easy right now to jump on the elder brother. How could he? Come on. Come to your senses. 
But something that you should know is that when the younger brother is reinstated, uh, commentators say that to make this happen, it comes at great cost to the elder brother who is still part of that estate. He would now lose about a third of the remaining estate for the younger brother to come back. So he has a, a true legitimate beef. It cost me a great deal for you to celebrate and sacrifice. Now how does this apply to you and I? This is especially for church people. If you've been walking with the Lord for a while, or maybe you're a good church person, if you're a rule follower, it's for every time you've ever wondered, God, why do I have to serve people who don't seem to serve me? God, why should I give more when it comes to my money or my time or my energy or my empathy while others give less? God, why should I care about them when it seems no one cares about me, God? And Jesus is head-on addressing that human condition, something that we've considered, that it's way easier to be more concerned about my own benefit than that of others. And he's saying, you know what, that might be a common thing, and it might be what everyone else is doing, but it's not what I've called you to, and it's not how I have loved you. For consider Jesus. Jesus is the perfect elder brother. Jesus is the one who slaved away in the Father's fields, living in perfect obedience so we could eat the fattened calf. Jesus is the one who didn't sacrifice a third of his estate, but his very life so that we could come in. And Jesus, he's not complaining or grumbling. He's standing by his father when lost people come home. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. See, to love like Jesus, it's, it's crazy. Because loving like him is to celebrate while sacrificing. It's to go further than what's common. It's to give it all out so others might know how marvelous is our father in his heart. Friends, if we never get that far, may you at least know that this has been done for you. And may God, through the Holy Spirit, make us more and more like Jesus. Amen. Please stand.